0: He is immortal. Born in the Highlands of Scotland 400 years ago, he is not alone. There are others like him, some good, some evil. For centuries he has battled the forces of darkness with holy ground his only refuge. He cannot die unless you take his head and with it his power. In the end, there can be only one. He is Duncan McLeod, the Highlander. And welcome into Let's Watch Highlander. This is Let's Watch Highlander, Season 2, Episode 3, Turnabout. Uh, And to go with you on this journey through the episodes, through the seasons, uh, I am your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis, and my co-host, the man who's been on this entire journey with me, Audie. Audie, how you doing? good man how about how about you not too bad not too bad so we had a a a fun one um this episode for me is one of those it's sort of a filler episode in a way but in a good way like it doesn't feel Mm -hmm. out of place you've got good chemistry between um the special guest and duncan and a different a little bit different story and one that i think is kind of interesting to go down that we'll talk about a little bit later yeah for sure so i think I mean, without further ado, let's just jump right in and talk about our special guests.
1: October 11th, 1993. Subject Michael Moore has not been seen in over 30 years and now has turned up in Seacover, Washington to visit Duncan McCloud. Moore was last seen with McCloud after the death of his wife, Jeanette, at the hands of immortal Quentin Barnes in the 1950s. Barnes was convicted of her death and the deaths of several other women and was executed by means of electrocution in 1960 and buried. We lost contact with Moore around this time. October 12th. Joe Dawson has asked me to deliver information to McLeod. This is highly unorthodox. However, Dawson seems to know what he's doing with the Highlander. Before delivering the information, I'm going to track Moore for a bit. He was heading in the direction of the old asylum when I had to break off and meet with Dawson. After I check out what is happening there... I'll deliver the files to McLeod at his antique shop. And
0: our special guest this week was Garrett Wynn Davies, who plays Michael Moore. He, I, I remember him. Do you remember the show Forever Night?
1: That's exactly what I was thinking when I first saw him. Okay. Uh, so he's a Welsh born sure.
0: actor, but he moved to Canada when he, I think he was 12 or something like that. So he can do a few mm-hmm. different accents. I remember him from Forever Night, and I remember this episode because of him. Um. <laughs> so and and he's got an interesting part to play in this because he pops up about what probably ten minutes into the episode or or maybe a little bit less, and um, he's an old you know he it's the classic old friend of Duncan's right but they get along really really mm-hmm. well uh, so you right you do get the fun moment of oh you you know how close you were to losing your head well that's no way to treat an old friend type of thing um, <laughs> right which you know that banter is never going to get old right. Yeah, um, But Michael is in town and Duncan hasn't seen him for like 30 years. And it's odd because he, they were, they were close friends, but Michael disappeared. Uh, and in part because Quentin Barnes, who was another immortal, was executed. Obviously didn't kill him, but they buried him at the, uh, I guess the prison, right? Mm -hmm. and uh, about 30 years ago as well. So let's just let the cat out of the bag um, as far as Michael and Quentin go because they're closer uh, than you would think at the beginning of the episode, right?
1: Sure. That's one way of putting it.
0: I I will say this. I I liked the idea of having uh, an immortal with some mental instability. I think it's um, in a different way from what we saw previously with Cahill in season Mm -hmm. one, if you remember that. And we talked about, you know, yeah, you would have mentally unstable immortals. It makes sense. In this case, you've got Michael Moore, who has a a split personality of Quentin Barnes. Um, Right. Now, they they try to hide it, and they do, uh, you know, they don't come right out and say it for what? Probably, I would say, two-thirds of the episode. Um, yeah, but if you're paying attention at all, you you kind of figured it out right away because obviously they can't show Quentin Barnes. They can't show mm-hmm. his face or it's going to give away the, the big reveal. Um, It's telegraphed, but I don't mind it. I like I that doesn't bother me at all because it's less. It's less about hiding it from the audience, I feel like, and more about hiding it from the other characters. Mm-hmm. It's just as long as you're doing that, you know, don't just come right out and show it in the first five minutes because then it loses all meaning.
1: Right. Yeah. They're hiding it from the audience in in order to not be obvious about the reveal later on so that (laughs) we're not just, you know, Oh, we know what's going on. It's not going to be a big deal when, whenever they find out they'll find out that's the way the episode goes. Those of us that are like big into story and this kind of stuff, you could see it coming a mile away, (laughs) but it was still really interesting to see the way they handled it. Like, that's the thing for me. Like, it felt cheesy, but at the same time, I was like, well, that's part of that is because it's 90s television.
0: Yeah, yep, Getting
1: exactly. past that, it's like, it's really interesting how they handled, how do we show split personality by only showing one side of it at a time and not revealing the other side until we want to.
0: Yeah, and, and I like the idea, too, of it being a disassociative identity, right? So Michael Moore has no idea that Quentin Barnes is... is the same person but Quentin knows and Quentin's right. using Michael in some ways um, mm-hmm. and I did do a little bit of digging and, and research on the episode and on the character itself if you uh, you can look online and find some of the other kind of lore and mythology and the idea was that uh, Michael more his first death was actually a suicide and it was um, mm. it was because of that that he, um, that led to his like multiple personality thing, and mm. I thought that was interesting, and it was cool uh, in the way that they portrayed it because I, I do think Garrett Wynn Davies does a good job of playing two very. It, it gets a little bit cartoony, sure, but he does a good job of of really showing different aspects and you know doing things like to change his face a little bit mm-hmm. um, when he's doing the different I, characters.
1: I kept seeing it and thinking. Okay. This could have been done better for TV, but that is a theater guy. Oh, acting totally. The hell out of that scene and that those changes, like that I was on board with enough that I was like, "Holy crap, he like a lesser actor, it would have been much more cheesy." Mm-hmm. But he sells it and, you know, really acts it so well that it works enough for me.
0: Yeah, and I think in a single episode where you've got multiple kind of a a couple of different subplots going, you have to overplay that a little bit. I think it works Mm -hmm. better that way. Um, Now, the other thing that worked for it is the chemistry between Adrian Paul and Garrett Wynn Davies, I think is really good. Uh, Mm -hmm. Again, it's one of those situations where we don't have much backstory as to how long they've been friends, what they've been through, or anything like that. But you believe, it's believable that they are friends just based on how they interacted.
1: Right, yeah.
0: And they use that again, again later on. The two of them actually both starred in another show a few years later um, after Highlander mm-hmm. was done. So that was, I thought that was kind of cool. It made me want to go find it where Adrian Paul's an alien uh, detective of some kind. I don't know. It's called <laughs> really? Tracker. So, yeah, if you want right. to see the two of them in a show again, uh, there you go. But, yeah, it. Like, it is over the top. It is cheesy, but it is early 90s television. And and I just, I think it works. But yeah, you mentioning him being a theater actor, totally. You can totally see that.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, that's what erases the cheese for me, that it doesn't just seem like he's trying to do it. There's something about it, like, if you were in the theater, this would totally work. This would Mm -hmm. totally be completely fine for it. And it's just something about, uh, they could have shot it differently or something for television to make it work a little better. But at the same time, I'm like, I, there's only so much you can do, especially, yeah. you know, for on a nineties television budget, mm-hmm. uh, but still him and Adrian Paul acted the hell out of both their parts. On this. Yeah. And,
0: and it gave him a chance to have some scenes with Tessa, um, and Ale- Alexander Vander That was a nice touching scene in, in the, um, kind of walking in the park, that set up what was going to happen later. So mm-hmm. in the moment, it kind of just seems like he's sort of lost, but but maybe over overreaching on the affections from Tessa, because Tessa has proven by this point in the show, if you're a fan of the show, you know she really has a lot of empathy and can really put herself into the mindset of other people. So mm-hmm. she's doing that, and it mm-hmm. kind of seems like he's over like he's been cut you know he's been cut off from from contact for so long that that he's reading into that more than he should be well yes he is but it's also some of that is quentin um behind the scenes right Hmm. so overall uh it's a really good performance i think by garrett Win davies when you take it in full context I mean, in a vacuum, right. he's definitely overacting. He's over emoting. He's, mm-hmm. but in the context of the show, it works. Right. For sure. And our other special guest, and I'm going to, I am going to mention him here as a special guest because it's his first appearance, but he is a, going to be a recurring character. And we know that because he shows up in the opening credits, uh, for the first time in this episode. And that is, um, Philip Aiken as Charlie DeSalvo. He's only got yeah. one scene, um, but it's uh, it's a pretty fun one where Duncan and Richie show up at the dojo. They want to. Duncan mm-hmm. just wants a place to work out, and Charlie's very standoffish. Um, doesn't like it. Doesn't like you know outsiders coming into his gym. Mm-hmm. And so we get a fun little moment where Duncan gets to kind of flex and show off. Yeah, um, but I like Charlie. I, I like the character uh, overall. He's going to be around for a little while, so get used to him. Mm-hmm. But over, I mean, as a character and as a, as a foil for Duncan and somebody that doesn't know the full story of who Duncan is, I think it's interesting. And so we just got yeah. a, a little taste of it, you know, because Duncan basically comes in and and Charlie's kind of trying to throw his weight around. So they have a little sparring match and Duncan wipes the floor with him. And then I love the scene after that where Char- he goes he goes into the office because Dawson shows up
1: right they go
0: into charlie's office to talk and as dawson is leaving charlie comes in like what it wasn't enough to kick my ass out there now you got to use my office too like just so put upon
1: yeah i love charlie um he's one of those like i remember from the series for sure i did not realize he came up this soon and i did not remember him being the owner of the dojo oh yeah
0: and that was a nice little moment, too, because you, you got a nice quick shorthand of like, okay, so because you're watching the episode, you see his name in the opening credits. But now we have a quick scene to establish kind of the pecking order between him and Richie and Duncan, where he's, right. gonna, he's going to somewhat defer to Duncan because Duncan's going to be the alpha of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not necessarily, he's going to begrudgingly deal with Richie. so right yeah, overall, a fun little little quick one. I mean, like I said he's he's not going to be a special guest much longer, but since it was his mm-hmm. first appearance, uh, we'll throw him in here. So, yeah, and again, uh,
1: with this scene and like as we're seeing it scene in this season, we're seeing a lot more of Duncan flexing his martial arts mm-hmm. knowledge. And I think that's a lot of just uh, Adrian Paul getting a lot more comfortable with showing that off and them showing that off through Duncan
0: yeah yeah I definitely agree so yeah um a couple of good special guests Garrett wynn Davies it's it's unfortunate that um he had to you know his character had to die because he would have been a fun one to have more than once mm-hmm. um, it almost I mean had they wanted to stretch that out and have Quentin Barnes really be more enigmatic and not show up for several episodes or something it would have been kind of cool to do it would have been tough to do um yeah. But it, it, the concept is there. However, it does make for a nice redemption story for Michael because once he figures out what's going on, um, for him to have that moment to push Duncan and say, look, if you care about me, you have to kill Quentin.
1: Right. And knowing that yeah. it's a,
0: it's that self-sacrifice and and knowing that Duncan is the type of person that will do that for him because Duncan doesn't mm-hmm. want to lose friends. But he also doesn't want to see his friend go through this torture anymore.
1: For sure. So,
0: yeah, overall, uh, good good special guest this week. Definitely oh, yeah. upper echelon.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially um, when Davies. They... Duncan, if you care about me, you're going to have to kill Barnes now! So we
0: did have one flashback in this episode. Um, it takes place yep. at the asylum. And the transition for it is one of the more unique ones um, because it was different. Uh, and they transition from a, a woman in a bridal gown. Apparently there was a wedding going on right next to the little cafe they were eating at, I don't know, or right. wedding photography or something. but they they have a transition of her turning around and then they transition to an old woman in what looks like a bridal veil and that yeah. is at the asylum. Um, and so that was a, a, an interesting transition. They're getting more yeah. creative with them though.
1: They definitely are only this one. They lingered on that old woman just a little bit too much. It was like, okay, you can go ahead and pull out and reveal. We don't need to just sit on her face for five seconds.
0: This is true. I would agree with you there. Um, overall, I liked this. A good one. Oh yeah. And I liked this flashback. So it's like a 1920s era. Um, is is what it was going for at the asylum. I guess it was nineteen twenties. Mm. Although if it was when the death of Jeanette happened, I thought that would have been closer to the nineteen sixties. But either way, it's it's a it's an older era. Um uh but but not you know but less than less than a hundred years. Right. And uh it was, you know, it had the sepia tone kind of wash to it. And it wasn't mm. uh there wasn't a lot of exposition done it basically was setting up showing Quentin Barnes and Michael Moore um, but again right. shooting around stuff so if you're if you're paying attention if you uh, kind of know the way TV usually goes you never see Quentin's face um, mm-hmm. and then Duncan happens to show up and there's just Michael and no Quentin so you know right again telegraphing quite a bit but mm-hmm. um, I did read that uh This was the start of a lot of 19 kind of 20s to 50s era flashbacks because they wanted to, the budget was relatively small for the show, so they wanted to make things easier. And they bought a lot full of uh, 20s, 30s era costumes. So (laughs) it was like, well, I guess season two is going to be mostly that era for flashbacks. That's Um, hilarious. It is. But hey, but, you know, that's you know, the type of stuff that you wouldn't think about, but it makes sense. Period stuff is always expensive to shoot.
1: Right. So And you know, for a regular show in the nineties that gets released weekly or so, you're not gonna think about it as much. Something that's like binged today, you're gonna notice that a lot easier, but
0: Yeah, I bet had we not had I not read that tri- that bit of trivia, we would have noticed it in a couple of episodes, right? Like, at some right. point, we would have been like, oh, hey, look at that. Most of these flashbacks have all been around the same time. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it's a good little, uh, little flashback. I'm still trying to figure out how they hide Adrian Paul's hair, though.
1: Yeah, they're doing a good job with that. It because might just be he slicks it back and they put a wig on it just to make it look short in the back to give it that cut look or something. It's got to be something
0: know. because it definitely, like, it looks like his natural hair in the flashback but I know it's his natural hair based on the way he wears it in the present time. That's longer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's really well done.
1: There's, or they're doing a layering thing where there's enough of the layer to make it look short and the longer layer is tucked in or something. Yeah, could be. I don't know. They're doing doing a good job hiding the, the ponytail for sure. Definitely.
0: Now his ponytail is a little bit shorter in this season, if you notice. So maybe that makes it a little easier too. I don't know. Um, but yeah, It's a, it's a good, uh, good little flashback. There's not a ton to it. Um, most Mm -hmm. of it is just Duncan walking into the asylum and like these long shots of him going through it. Uh, Mm -hmm. but yeah. Um, and then it ends with
1: people reaching out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Asylum stuff is always tricky to do though.
1: Yeah. And, and looking at it from, from this point of view in 2021, Mm Hmm. Compared to what they were dealing with then and how they were dealing with it. You're just like, oh, yeah, to the extent like some we're like, OK, we're glad there were some doctors doing something. But at the same time, it was like, what the heck were we doing with people back then?
0: Yeah, I know. It's a little crazy. Um, But yeah, I, I, you know, it is what it is. I, I wish we could have had mm-hmm. more flashback to like another one. But I also understand yeah. pacing wise, it wouldn't have worked very well. Because um, right. you really kind of did all you could do with, and I guess technically we had two flashbacks because the cold open of the episode uh, is the Quentin Barnes um, execution. So Right,
1: which is a bit, bit of a flashback, just not your typical.
0: Yeah, not your typical flashback. one. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a good flashback. Uh, we've seen better, mm-hmm. but we've definitely seen a lot worse. Um, and I yeah. did like the end of it. With with uh, Michael and Duncan at Jeanette's grave, because yeah, it really shows how much. Well, it, it shows how much Michael cared, right? Because he's right. He just wants peace for Jeanette, and he wants to mm-hmm. get Quentin at all costs. And you know, we as an audience kind of have an idea that they might be the same person, but mm-hmm. you know, and and that's that's as an audience in twenty twenty one. Watching this. right? Uh, I think in, in the 90s, it wasn't quite as tropey to
1: pull yet. So, mm-hmm. you know. And I would compare this to last week's episode where I think we had a similar amount of flashback time between Duncan and his mm-hmm. immoral friend. Last mm-hmm. week, it was Gregor played yep. by Joel Winner. And it did not seem like he was that on that level with Adrian Paul as far as acting goes, and it felt a little stunted here. We have, you know, again, very little flashback time, but because of both of these actors being so good at what they're doing, you get it a lot more. You, you, you already get that friendship and you're okay with it. Mm -hmm. Like there's not a whole lot of explanation that needs to be done, even in the flashback.
0: That's true. That's true because of their chemistry and because of how, how well they get along. And the fact that, I mean, I think Wynne Davies is just a better character actor than J.H. Wyman Mm -hmm. is really what it comes down to as well. So he's more believable as this character, and he's a more interesting character, I think. Wyman, uh, Gregor as the sort of nihilistic, I don't really care about life anymore character, isn't all that great. And then you have to make him be something different in the flashback, and he wasn't different enough in that flashback. yeah. To to make me believe that he um, he actually cared about people, whereas Michael Moore was kind of the same in both. Like the dichotomy of the character was two literally two personalities instead of somebody right. who had changed over time. Maybe we should talk to the owner. You're looking at it. well, places for sale. Business must be booming, huh? Uh, he always mouth off like that. when <laughs> <Nobody> he <laughs> might be right. And so Tessa's got. Um, it got a little bit more to do in this episode. Uh, she spent some more time with Michael, and also with Quentin uh, towards the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And once again, it's solid work, solid, solid Tessa work. Yeah. Um, she is very empathetic and cares about Michael. Um, they have a fun little banter when Michael first shows up, where you know he says, "Oh, finally, a woman who knows everything about Duncan McLeod and her response to that was great. <laughs> well, there's still a few decades he's keeping from me, you know?
1: Yeah, that was great.
0: Um, and you get this moment of her really showing compassion for Michael and kind of like what I talked about with, uh, in the last bit, the way that he reacts to it seems like he's just, you know, Oh, Oh, shucks. Thank you. And all of that. But then by the next scene, when she, that they have together, um, you're starting to see more of the Quentin Barnes character bleeding through mm-hmm. to yeah. the point where, and then, you know, she, obviously she doesn't know how to react to it when he comes out as Quentin, um, her reaction is like, no, you're Michael. And you know, it's, it's not Michael anymore. Like Michael's gone at that right. point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I liked Tessa in this one. Um, again, not a ton of screen time, but I, she was doing, you know, solid work as always. There's not a lot of interaction with her and Duncan in this one, yeah, which I found interesting.
1: Yeah. The thing that interested me is just we're seeing Tessa as somebody who we've seen plenty of her interaction with Duncan and mm-hmm. her learning about the whole immortal thing that, like, I think that's where a lot of that empathy is coming for um, Michael is just like, she's like, you guys are going through some crap through all these years. Like, I can't even understand it, but I'm going to try and help you. I'm going to be that person you can rely on Yeah, kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so yeah, solid work from her. Uh, Richie has a little bit more to do. He's, he, he gets some jokes, but he's, he's not, it's not cringy Richie at all. Yeah. In my opinion, like even, even his joke about, I should have gone on a date when Duncan goes to, to spar with Charlie. Like right. that just felt like, like real life. Like, uh, what am I doing here? Cause he didn't really. Right. So, and I did, i enjoyed that scene. The only thing that confused me was his line about triple X chromosomes didn't make any sense at all. I don't know who wrote that or if that was yeah. ad-libbed, but I didn't get it. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, you know, he's, he's got those couple of scenes and then he has one little kind of mini fight with Quentin, which is a funny one to watch because, because of the way Quentin doesn't, you know, he no-sells everything to use a wrestling term. (laughs) Right. But, uh, you know, I, I did like too I also liked the way he reacted when Tessa came out all scared and he's like, look, whatever it was just must've, the, the way he phrased it, bent his antenna, um is one I want to use more because I, I got to kick <laughs> right. out of that line. But no, uh, Stan Kirsch is, um, is solid in it. He's good. Yeah. It's good Richie. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, yeah, definitely good Richie.
0: Uh, and then we did get the return of Joe Dawson um, who we haven't yep. seen since uh, the opening episode. So he wasn't in last week's at all, uh, but he's mm-hmm. back. And yeah, there's a little bit of uh, a little adversarial relationship with him and Duncan still. Duncan doesn't fully trust him Yet, especially right. after the way he just disappeared, but he's willing and to... And not that he has a reason to trust him at all at this point either. No, but he, tr- he, he believes in him enough to more or less kind of try to use him, I guess. Right. Because Joe shows up saying, uh, you know, hey, we need help. And Duncan's mm-hmm. like, whatever, go pound sand. I'm not going to help you. And... But then Michael... When Michael comes in with the same issue of Quentin Barnes, um, Duncan's like, all right, fine. Let me let me go talk to a guy. And I love the line right away where they're they're doing another walk and talk. And Joe says to him, like, because Duncan's like, look, I need your files. You know, I need to know where this guy's been. I need to know what he's been doing. If you want me to do this, I need this information. And Joe's like, look, we've got rules. And Duncan immediately. (laughs)
1: Duncan's like, oh, really?
0: Yeah. He's like, break your rules then. Um you want yeah it's
1: like you want this done we're doing it my way.
0: Yeah. Yep, he sets that tone. Uh but you know again, I mean Jim Burns just stepped right into the role of Joe Dawson and knocked it out of the park and he's oh, a win sure. every time he's on screen.
1: Every time. Yeah. From day 1 he has had the gravitas of Joe Dawson.
0: Mhm. Yep, he's completely believable in that role. I really I really like him. Uh I like the fact that you had essentially two scenes with them because you've got Joe. uh, The, the Joe showing up at the dojo and then them walking and talking along the path kind of feels like just one scene spread out. Mm -hmm. And then later on when they get together again and they're at the asylum and Joe's Joe, they have that moment where the, the watcher falls out of the um, closet or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's the, you know, the dead one. So you've got a dead watcher. And it's Duncan doesn't know who it is. And it's that moment of realization from Joe that like, oh, wait a minute, this isn't right. And then Duncan, you know, the whole thing where Duncan's like, yeah, I got your information.
1: Yeah. You know, well, the who two you get of them put the puzzle together. Yeah.
0: So it, it's kind of nice to see them work together where Joe knows mm-hmm. information that we don't yet. And right. And Duncan knows information that Joe doesn't know yet, which is how he got the file, you know, where the file came from type of thing. So, it, that was a nice little moment there. Yeah. And it gave Duncan a reason now to believe Joe about something. Right. So, you know, I like it. Like I say it's it's still a little adversarial, but overall good stuff and
1: again, mm-hmm. any any episode with Joe is a good episode for me. Right. And this is just laying the groundwork. I mean, those of you listening who haven't seen the series yet, who are watching along with us, <laughs> we're talking about this, knowing what's coming Mm -hmm. somebody who is going to be a stable character. (coughs) And we're just getting the beginnings of that. And it's fun to watch the beginnings of that again and see that groundwork getting laid.
0: Yeah, it really is. And it's really cool to see an actor step into a role and from the get go, nail it. Like Stan Kirsch took a little while to find Richie and Mm -hmm. Richie had to settle in. Even Adrian Paul in, in, with Duncan had to, he kind of had to settle in a little bit because they, they sort of had some, there's some brooding going on. And then, well, maybe he's a little more happy go lucky than that. No, they found a good middle ground to it, to where he can be stoic right. but still have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, though, Jim Burns as Joe Dawson and Alexander Vanderneut as Tessa pretty much nailed it from day one. Like those two just yeah. got the characters and knew what they were supposed to do. So good, good, solid stuff. Uh, I'm glad that uh, and we know Joe is coming back because he's in the opening credits, too. But it was nice to after last week's episode, it was nice to have him back. Mm -hmm. And some more kind of Watcher stuff, too.
1: Yeah. I want your files. No chance. I need to know more about him, where he's lived, what he's done, his habits. I also need the names and addresses of all the people involved in the execution. We have rules. Then break them.
0: And we did have a fight. We had a good final duel between Quentin Barnes slash Michael Moore and Duncan McClellan, mm-hmm. and it was a yeah. it was kind of a cool one. Um, you know, it's like anything; they have to sort of they have to find some semi abandoned area for them to fight, um, right? Which apparently it looked like it must have been right near the asylum. I don't know. I don't. I don't know where that little airstrip um. was in relation, because I guess. It, ha, it no, must it, have been It, it was close. closer to
1: the uh, antique shop because yeah, that's was where say. he was coming from.
0: Yeah. So I don't know where that is in relation to the antique shop because that's really in town. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's a fun, it was a fun little thing. They got to go up onto like shipping containers and jump down off of stuff. There were, there were a few shots where it was obvious. Stuntman is obvious. Um, yeah. Especially the the flip off of the container by Duncan. Like it was clearly yeah. someone else that did that.
1: Yeah, the most obvious one was just jumping across containers with swords. And it was mm-hmm. like, that's a stuntman with a wig on.
0: <laughs> um, but Wynn Davies did a good job, too. He did a lot of the fencing work. Um, oh, yeah. And it was good and convincing, and I, I did enjoy that. And I liked the way kind of things were staged. It was cool to get them into that little um, hangar towards the end of it. How they got in there, maybe a little bit of a stretch. Um, mm-hmm. cause they, they sort of, it was like, okay, we're going in here because the script says we need to, and that's where we put all the right. pyro. Uh, uh-huh. um, but, uh, once they got in there, that was a, that was a neat backdrop for it with the big yeah. fan at the one end and.
1: Mm-hmm. Very interesting open place, but interesting way they lit it and had the, the fa- like you said, the fan, just the way it was. Doing that shadow lighting kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the fight itself was staged well. Um, It was choreographed really well. It never Mm. felt like one had a huge advantage over the other. Right. Um, Because Quentin Barnes as a fighter, uh, and so by extension Michael Moore, feels as though, you know, he's pretty good. And he can go toe-to-toe with Duncan. It's just Duncan, you're not beating Duncan. Like, you're just not. Right. Um, but then it had... And until
1: the end, you know Duncan's pulling his punches anyways because he doesn't want to hurt his friend.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and they sprinkled in you know, a good amount of sort of Quentin, Michael struggling uh, against each other. Quentin yeah. wants control. Michael is fighting it as he's figured out what's going on. And they have, again, that kind of really cool moment where Duncan's gotten him in the gut he's down and Quentin switches back to Michael and Michael's like, I can't help. I can't do anymore. You're going to have to finish it. And even, even in the face of that, Duncan's like, but you, you didn't know. And, and Michael's response is I do now and you've got to do this. And that Mm -hmm. can't be easy to do. Like from a character standpoint, that just can't.
1: At the same time, it's still playing on what they've talked about this entire episode of if I'm not going to do this, McCloud, you have to. Like, it's funny how they were playing that out when it's just Duncan and Michael not knowing the truth, and then when it comes down to it, Michael's like, "You're going to have to finish this because I can't." Yeah, that's true. Yeah,
0: they do foreshadow that at the beginning of the episode. So, um, yeah, it's actually I liked last week's fight as well because um, it was a it was an actual sword duel. This one's better. Mm-hmm. So we're sure. trending we're trending in the right direction as far as the final duels go, granted yeah. episode one uh, of the season, I get why that fight wasn't much because it's Horton, so it's not another right. immortal. Um, but yeah, like just everything to do with with um Michael Moore and Garrett wynn Davies over the character of Gregor was an improvement in my opinion,
1: yeah. And just at the end of the fight, we had a really good quickening. Like, yeah. They, they used those pyrotechnics pretty dang good.
0: Yeah, they definitely did. That was It was nice to see. So, overall, just solid good stuff. I like it. Mm-hmm. Eternal peace.
1: I hope she's found it. You have to believe that she has. It's more peace than I'll ever find.
0: And so that was uh, episode three of season two, Turnabout. Solid episode. Um, yeah. You know, it a little overacting here a little bit of cheesy story there but it worked right it, it is yeah. it's that escapism it's that fantasy and that's what you kind of want to see in this show you want to see mm-hmm. outrageous characters in a big sword fight and maybe something that's a little bit poignant and it does have a little something to say with the whole idea of sort of mental illness and mental instability in an immortal and how that could manifest but it doesn't get yeah, preachy
1: either it's funny how we've had that two episodes in a wet in a row. Yeah. Um, it, it's it, They're doing a
0: little bit more kind of introspective stuff in this season, it feels like.
1: Mm-hmm. You so, know, I was thinking about it in one of, my, one of my notes. The only thing that I would have changed is maybe end it a little differently and have something with Tessa at the end. That's the only thing I feel like I was missing out of this episode. I like the Dawson and Duncan thing at the end. But yeah, I still would have liked to have seen something with Duncan and Tessa.
0: That would have been nice because, really, up until this point, she's been his rock. I know they're trying mm-hmm. to establish the relationship between Duncan and Dawson, so that's probably why they went that route instead of Tessa. But you're right; right. it feels like he would have been more apt to be like have Tessa consoling him.
1: Hmm. Some way, somehow, just yeah. some little thing, but.
0: But, you know, you could have had, you really could have had both um, and just cut down some of the, um, where he's doing his little kata um, mm-hmm. and that, that bit there yep. could have been shortened.
1: Yeah. They were really showing that one off.
0: <laughs> they really were. Um, but yeah, I mean, a solid episode. I give it a, a you know, like a, yeah. a plus a, a, and it, a minus range kind of in there, like not perfect, but definitely a better episode um, on the better side than most.
1: Right. And again, I, I just say it again, because it's it's solely on the acting chops of everybody in this episode that it is sold so well. hmm. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. If you have a lesser actor playing Michael, it doesn't work. Right. Um, if the chemistry between Duncan and Michael is the same as between Duncan and Gregor, it doesn't work. Um, right. That shows you that de- that that's proof that chemistry between actors is important. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can't just put, like, J.H. Wyman as an actor is fine. There's nothing wrong with him, but him and Duncan together just didn't, I never bought it. So. Right. Yeah. It it does show that things like that make sense and and are Mm -hmm. important. Now, next week we have uh, an episode entitled The Darkness. And um, I don't want to give away too much, but some things are going to happen. So let's get yep. prepared for kind of what we're getting into. Um, and, uh, you know, this, this show comes out every week, uh, typically on Thursdays. If you like the show um, and you get it at anchor.fm slash let's watch Highlander, you can also find it on Apple Podcasts, Google podcasts, um, and give us a, a review because we do appreciate that. That does help the show become more discoverable for people. And uh, yeah, if you enjoy it, please please do. And you can also find us on Twitter. I am TVS Travis. That's TVS Travis. And uh, and talk to talk to me about you know all things Highlander or or you know just regular movies and TV shows too. And Audie, you're on there. What what is your Twitter where people can yeah find you? you
1: can find me at oddly normal one, and that's the one spelled out, not the number. Okay, just the numeral, but spelled out.
0: Got it. Uh, so yeah, hit us up on Twitter. We love to interact and talk with everybody. Um, Heck yeah! Now, ne- like I said, next week is going to be uh, the darkness. So come back for that one because that's going to be it's going to be a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, until then, remember there can be only one dual personality anymore. There you go.